Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you say that last sentence with me? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a simple yet profound statement. The most famous thing that Joshua ever spoke, ever wrote, and we've heard it and we've spoken it. Many of you have heard this many times over the years. That devoted pledge is all the more profound because as we discussed midweek, this was spoken on the last day of Joshua's life on earth. So he's speaking as a man going to his grave. He's speaking as a man that is a few breaths away from his final breath. Back in chapter 23, verse 14, he said, now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. As we talked about last week, all things came to pass. And now Joshua says, but I'm going the way of all the earth. This is it for me. After 110 years of experiencing God as Joshua did, his faithfulness, his, his goodness, his righteousness, his love. Joshua would accept no other alternative for his household. We will serve the Lord. Now, something that strikes me out of this, this passage, especially just these two verses, but the, the section in which he's speaking here is that Joshua knew the alternatives were numerous and available though fictitious and man-made. They were bogus, they were shams, but they were out there. The opportunities to serve, others to serve, other gods, other beliefs, other systems were absolutely available for service. So when he says, choose this day whom you will serve, he knows that people have a choice to make and the many choices are out there. But, but listen to what the Lord said. This is Isaiah chapter 45, verse five. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Down in verse 21 of Isaiah 45, he says, declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? You think he's trying to get across a point here? There is none except me, a righteous God and a savior, he says. Verse 22, he says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. And if he hasn't said enough, he says one more time, and there is no other. Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they said, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other, and yet humanity searches for other. Waste time in life chasing after other. In Jesus, we have every reason to give thanks. In Jesus, we have every reason to be joyful and thankful. By the way, happy Thanksgiving. If I don't get a chance to say it again, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. It's the first American holiday, right? Let me give you a brief summary, history. I was afraid Jake was about to break into it. Thank you for not. I'm sitting back there going, communion, Jake, just do communion. Don't preach my sermon. In 1610, after a severe winter that literally was called the starving time, 60 Jamestown colonists held a day of thanksgiving. There were originally 409 colonists. The 60 who were left held a day of thanksgiving. Like I said, Christians have a reason to be thankful even in the worst of circumstances. In fact, on December 4th, 1619, 38 surviving colonists of a group that left England called the Berkeley 100, 38 left, arrived in the new land and their first order of business was, quote, we ordain that the day of our ship's arrival in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. In 1621, the Plymouth colonists, and this is where we typically draw back to because they shared the first traditional Thanksgiving feast at the harvest time, as Jake mentioned, with the native, I can't even hardly say it, I'm gonna try it, Wapanoag tribe, is that right? Yeah, sound good? Most of you are like, okay, yeah. Sorry, we had a little visit from Beelzebub there. The Wampanoag tribe, a fly, a little fly landed anyway. Then on October 3rd, 1863, following the bloodiest year of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln signed an executive order. Now, I'm not a huge fan of executive orders, but this one I can get behind. The last Thursday of November, he signed to be an annual day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. In 1870, Congress followed suit and made Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, and Independence Day national holidays for the first time in our country by law, leaving the president the discretion over which day Thanksgiving would actually fall. So in 1939 and again in 1940, Franklin Delano Roosevelt moved Thanksgiving up a week to add a week of shopping days before Christmas. I'm not kidding. He literally did that because following the Great Depression, merchants needed all the help they could get. So they moved up the day to launch the Christmas holidays sooner than usual. What's kind of funny to me, after that, there was widespread debate and criticism over the moving of this day. So in 1941, Congress passed a law reestablishing the fourth Thursday of November as Thanksgiving Day. Oh, for the days when congressional debate was over when to hold a Thanksgiving holiday. While the focus, though, on Thanksgiving, and it is a big deal in our country, and remarkably, it's one of the very few holidays, I think about the only one that is left unscathed. Yeah, you can get your little turkey ornament if you want, but, but most homes, Thanksgiving is simply about family gathering, about the meal spread on the table, about being thankful. 
And it's ironic in this country because so many people don't even know what they're thankful for or to whom they are to be thankful. Casting their thanks out into the universe rather than recognizing a very personal God who interacts with people and longs for people to know him and to understand and know his love. But why all this focus on thanksgiving? And, and, and in the Bible, scripture, throughout the Bible, we're called to be people who are thankful. Why? What's the big deal? Thanksgiving, note this, thanksgiving puts everything in right perspective. This to me is the most significant thing about being thankful. It puts my life in correct perspective. It helps me see things as they are and my position in all of this. It gives me right perspective. Psalm 50, verse 23, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, Paul says there's your answer to anxiety right there. Pray and be thankful because it puts you in a right position before the Lord. Suddenly you realize how much you have to be grateful for, how much you have to be thankful for, and anxiety tends to decrease. Colossians chapter three, verse 15, three verses in a row, listen to what Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, that's a right perspective. That settles my position before the Lord. And it, it gentles my heart to be a person who recognizes all the truly good that God has done. It's a right perspective. Thanksgiving recognizes salvation as the psalmist wrote. It stems anxiety as Paul wrote. It establishes peace. It receives the word of Christ. It produces wisdom and teaching and worship. All of this from a heart of thanksgiving. In fact, you could say it transforms our rite of passage to become the right passage. We're all in a rite of passage as we've been talking about through Joshua. There's only one right passage. There's only one right way and that is in and through Jesus Christ and thanksgiving brings us literally to our knees before him and makes our rite of passage the right passage. It's why Joshua's final words begin with therefore. Why in verse 14, this is what he says. This, this is his last out. Right before this in chapter 24, it's all the Lord speaking. Joshua is just conferring what the Lord has spoken. Thus says the Lord, he says, and goes all the way through the history of God's care, getting them out of Egypt and bringing them into the land and keeping them safe through the land. But then Joshua in verse 14 says, therefore, after this amazing prophetic reflection of God for Israel and all he had done, he says, therefore, Serve the Lord, fear the Lord, he says, and serve him in sincerity and truth. Because of all this, we might say with a heart of thanksgiving, therefore, serve the Lord, fear the Lord, serve the Lord in sincerity 
and in truth. Those two words are interesting, sincerity and truth. What's he mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord and to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth? Does it mean I really mean it? Yeah, but sincerity is the word, interesting word in the Hebrew, tamim. Tamim, and it means completeness or wholeness or soundness, and it's the same exact word that, it, that is used for the spotless lamb. The spotless lamb, the tamim lamb. And so Joshua says, fear the Lord that way. Serve the Lord with that same sound, whole spotlessness. Come before him with, with nothing that might be between you and him and fear him and serve him. Also, he uses the word truth. Truth, emet in the Hebrew, which is honesty and reliability. So you could say, Serve the Lord with spotless honesty, with unblemished integrity. And I hear that and go, man, that's tough. Sounds great. Serve the Lord with spotless truth and reliability. I'd love to, but I know myself and I know how hard that really is. How do I even start to serve the Lord with that kind of spotless honesty? Well, he continues and says, put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's where you start. Sometimes you say, well, I wanna serve the Lord. I wanna be spotless. Well, I'm not spotless. Okay, you don't start with spotlessness. You start with getting rid of the spots. You begin with getting rid of the other gods, of the idols, of the things in our lives that spot us and darken us and mess us up. What's amazing about this moment at the end of the, the marvelous rite of passage of Israel, and as Joshua is standing up to give this wonderful declaration that he even has to say, put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That means a couple of things. It means, first of all, that they're still serving the gods that they served in Egypt. And some are still serving the gods which their fathers had served. I mean, they have carried this on for generations. They had already conscripted idols, both old and new, alongside Yahweh. Yes, we believe in Yahweh. Yes, we trust in the Lord. Yes, God, Yahweh is the God of Israel. And my little teraphim, my little household God, my rabbit's foot. I gotta have my rabbit's foot, you know, hanging with a, little, a nice little bow off my Bible. I still need that, right? Verse 23 of chapter 24, listen to this. Joshua says, now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Even in the gathering, as we noted midweek, people had gods with them. In the folds of their robes, in their pockets, people had gods in their midst, as Joshua is speaking. In their homes, there were idols already in the land of Israel, people serving these and hanging on to these, these little pocket gods Household charms, amulets, good luck charms, you might call them. How do you serve God with spotless integrity when your life is dotted and stained with all manner of other gods? And, and that's really the context of Joshua's convicting challenge. It's all in the context that there are little gods everywhere. Small g, empty g, sham g, not legitimate, not real, not actual, but they're all over the place. 
by human imagination. In verse 15, he says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, that's the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Amazing. The whole famous charge of Joshua, to put it in Thanksgiving context, it served in the setting of Thanksgiving on the table of decision. This is all about decision. From a heart of thanksgiving, coming from the therefore, considering all that God has done for you, therefore, make a decision. Therefore, make a choice. And what's remarkable is that Joshua has no problem illuminating the alternatives. He calls them out. I know you have gods among you. You could almost see some of the Israelites shuffling a little bit as they try and move it further down in the pocket. People looking uncomfortable because they have, no one, no one else knew. How does Joshua know? I love when people come up to me and say, how did you know what I needed to hear this morning? I always say, because I've got it all together. <laughs> I don't have a clue what you need this morning, but he knows. And speaking through this servant Joshua, the Lord is calling out his people. You can't stay on the fence. Agnosticism, by the way, is a misnomer. Would that you be an atheist rather than an agnostic? Because an agnostic, agnostic just says, well, I don't know, I'm just gonna ride the fence and see what happens. Can't do it. By riding the fence, you've made your choice. There's no such thing as, as standing one foot in, one foot out. And by the way, procrastination is a fool's game. I think I'll wait. I'm just gonna see. Not gonna make a decision today. I've got life to live, things to do. Maybe down the line when life isn't so hectic, then I'll make a decision you will choose a God to follow even by not choosing. You've already made a choice. Now, some would argue that point. They'd say, well, I, I'm not religious. Let me give you a definition of religion. It is, quote, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. There's all kinds of religion. Career is a religion for some. Knowledge for some might be a religion self or personal rights, that could be a religion, something worth fighting for. My right to do what I wanna do regardless of how it affects anybody else. <laughs> Riches, financial security for some is a religion. It has supreme importance. Even good things like philanthropy can be a religion. You know, pick a cause, any cause. Climate activism is a religion. It just is, you cannot deny this. People live and die on climate change, or animal rights, or sports, or music, or the arts, or whatever your thing is, it's whatever in your life takes the position or the seat of supreme importance, that is your religion. That is your choice. Now, several of these things that I, that I listed off here could be good things, not necessarily bad things. Career's not a bad thing. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Financial security, fighting for rights if they are good rights. These things are not necessarily bad when set in the thankful acceptance of Yahweh as supreme, when God is of supreme importance and I live thankfully before him, it all affects all these other things such that if I'm into 
philanthropy. I'm doing it for the service of God. If pursuing knowledge that I might know God better. And all of these things make a completely different application in my life when God sits on the primary throne. But our religion, again, is whatever takes the seat of supreme importance, and it will control you. It will control you. It will be what you think about, what you focus on, where you go. will be based on that issue of most importance. And so Joshua says, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. One commentator, Davis, said, the conservatives, fond of tradition, who yearned for the faith of their fathers might vote for Mesopotamian gods. Choose today whom you will serve. Well, yeah, let's go back and let's go old school. The liberals, with their yin for relevance, for being in step with the times, might prefer to identify as an act of goodwill with the current social milieu of Amorite worship, but they must choose. Either the gods of the Amorites that you've just discovered in these last few years or the gods of Mesopotamia of your fathers, Abraham's gods, prior to him finding the one or being found by the one true God. Either go back or go forward, but make a choice. Pick your God. And what's funny is, as Joshua lays this out, these are absurd choices. These are ridiculous choices. Just put it this way. The people had just conquered a land where these other people trusted in these other gods. How did their other gods do for them? Not well. Not well. Go ahead and choose them, Joshua says. Or go back to the old gods. Or choose Yahweh. But make your choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Again, they're absurd choices that he lays out before them. And that's the point. If if not God, your creator, if not Christ, your savior, then you are choosing what Matthew Henry calls, and I love this, dunghill deities. Every other choice is a dunghill deity. And this, by the way, won't be the last call of the Lord to a reasoned decision, a reasoned choice. Up on the top of Mount Carmel, Maybe you remember the story, Elijah faces off against the 400 prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asherah or Ashtaroth. And he's up there and he's calling the people out. It's an amazing scene. And 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long are you gonna do this? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. That's typical. I'm not saying anything. Someone in the back goes, Jesus. <laughs> How long will you hesitate? The word hesitate is, it's poshahim, and it's, in fact, the root word is pasach, Passover. But the word poshahim in context, how long will you hesitate, means to limp back and forth. You know, pasach is Passover, but in this context, it's how long are you gonna jump back and forth between one and the other, back and forth and back and forth. You're hesitating. You're not choosing anything. This Sunday, I'm gonna be for the Lord. This week, I'm gonna be for my own personal success. And back and forth and back and forth. And Elijah says, how long are you gonna do this? Pick one and stick with it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth 
And Jesus calls out mammon, wealth, as the gods so many were serving at that time. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. All these other things you think you need, you think you want, whatever you truly need and truly desire, God's gonna take care of that. You seek him. Paul said in Romans 6, verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks, he says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We're still slaves. You're gonna be one way or the other. Are you gonna be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness, a bondservant of the world or a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Bondservants of Jesus Christ find in their lives the most reason to be thankful. The Bible even ends with that ultimate decision. Revelation 22, 11, let the one who does wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. But whatever you do, don't think you can play sides. Don't waste your time on thanksgiving if you haven't chosen the one to whom we are most thankful. Choose the Lord and be thankful. Otherwise, choose something else. And with this in mind, Joshua now famously testifies in verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love this, this phrase. Mentioned last week, many of us have this on plaques, you know, wall hangings in our homes. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do we really know what we're even saying? Let's break it down. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Four po portions for you to feed on today. Number one, number one is the essential. The essential, as for me. As for me, he says, anoki in the Hebrew, anoki. It's first person singular, and it's not really even as for me, it's just me. Me? Joshua just says, me and my house, me and my own. He starts with me. Well, not me, he starts with he, with himself, me. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, listen. If it is not essentially personal and personally essential to you, why would you think it would be for anyone else? I remember back when I was a kid, one of the big things in the church, and, and many churches were doing this, was joy bus ministry. Anybody ever serve on the joy bus? Okay, this is really, really dating me. It's way back. So the joy bus, and you can imagine how this would go down today. Churches would send out, they'd buy school buses, and they'd paint up the side and say joy bus, and it looked like a lot of fun, and they would send these buses out on Sunday morning to pick kids up and take them to church. Can you even imagine mom and dad sending their kids out the door to hop on the joy bus and go to some church they don't know today? I mean, it's just, it wouldn't happen. But it was a big deal back in the 50s and the 60s and early 70s, the joy bus. Everybody had to have a joy bus. And moms and dads could open the door and boot the little ones out and they'd run out and get on the joy bus and go to church and mom and dad could have a day off. And you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work. 
Oh, for some, there were some who were affected, maybe some who were changed, but by and large, sending your kids off to the joy bus for an hour or two of church on a Sunday did not work because home was unchanged. Home was no different. As for me, Joshua says, it starts with dad. It starts with mom, husband, wife. It starts with the individual. It can even start with a son or a daughter who says, as for me, it's essential to understand it begins with you. Sunday school drop-offs, same thing. And from time to time, we'll see that. And I'm so glad we'll receive any child that anyone drops off anytime, right, Cam? But if mom and dad drop off and then go out to breakfast, they're not doing the child a whole lot of good. We can love, we can give influence, we can teach the word here. But unless mom or dad says, as for me, unless it starts with the individual, essentially, the impact is very limited. 110-year-old Joshua is not having a deathbed conversion here or even a deathbed revelation. Joshua is actually speaking something that has been grounded in the essential integrity of his entire life. When he says, as for me and my house, it's not just looking forward, it's looking backwards. It's the reality of, of Joshua's life, of how he had lived before his family. How in the world could he say, as for me and my house, thinking that when he's gone, his house is gonna continue on. How could he say that unless he had already lived it? Unless it was already laid into the whole entire family design. Remember this, Exodus 33, verse 11, that when Moses returned to the camp, his servant, Yehoshua, Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, probably at that time 45 years old, so if you're in your 40s, you're a young man, well done. A young man, 45 years old, would not depart from the tent. Joshua's decision as a young man was, I'm staying close to God. That's my focus. That's my decision. As for me, this essential choice. Everything that we've seen in Joshua leading up to this final moment of his life is perfectly summed up in his five-word epitaph. You can see it in verse 29 where it says that it came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. The servant of the Lord. That's all that is said about Joshua. At the end of all this, not the commander of God's armies, you know, not the real estate agent who, who gave out the land, not the leader of Israel, the man in charge, our guy Joshua, just the servant of the Lord. That's all that was said of Joshua at the end. The word servant, by the way, is interesting. It is abed, abed, and it means slave. And it's the same word used in Deuteronomy 15, 15, where he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. You were a slave. Joshua dies, and he is still a slave. A slave to Egypt, no. No, his lifetime was being a bond slave of the Lord. Again, if he had a headstone, that's what, would, what it would read. It would say, Yehoshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. That's it. That's all Joshua ever wanted to be. That was his decision as for me. Verse 30 says they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnat Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaash. 
Timnat Sarah, which means, some of you may recall, abundant portion. They buried him in the place of abundant portion because a lifetime of serving the Lord is a feast of thanksgiving. As we serve, that's where the thankfulness emerges in this service that we get to do this, that we get to be involved with this. It is an abundant portion. By the way, now and then, check this out. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 19. The Lord speaking says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and an heir of my mountains from Judah. Even my chosen ones shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks in the valley of Accor. Remember the valley of Accor? Remember Achan and the trouble he brought? The valley of trouble, even the valley of Accor, a resting place for herds for my people who seek me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword and all of you will bow down to the slaughter because I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not hear and you did evil in my sight and you chose that in which I did not delight. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, here it is, behold, my servants will eat but you will be hungry. My servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart. What is that? Thanksgiving. But you will cry out with a heavy heart and you will wail with a broken spirit and you will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones and the Lord God will slay you. But my servants will be called by another name. Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten because they are hidden from my sight. That's the servant of the Lord. We'll feed, we'll eat, we'll drink, we'll be joyful, we'll be glad. All that is good, all that we long for, the ideal belongs to the servant of the Lord. As for me, as for me, Joshua said, and his entire life, his life was so much about the Lord that we have been able to make compelling comparisons throughout this study to Jesus Christ. Joshua, a picture of Jesus. Why? Because Joshua was a servant of the Lord. Do you look like Jesus? Do we bear that image of service and love and grace and truth? Do we look like Jesus Christ. See, that's the essential idea. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Kids who look like their brother Jesus, that we would have that image. We, we went out this, this last summer, we were down in California and we visited, part of the time we visited nephews on, on Cheryl's side. So my nephews-in-law, these four boys, Trevor, Tyler, Tim, Timothy, and, and Tanner. And I never can get their names right. I'm like, which one is which? So the, the four T's, I call them. If you look at these four boys standing next to each other, you know they're brothers. You just know they're brothers. And then if their dad enters the room, they're all the same guy. 
I mean, they all had the, the blonde, the sandy blonde Southern California surfer hair. They're all surfers. We met them on the beach when we were down there and they were all out surfing. And, and they, they have that blonde hair and the look on their faces, it's just, it's remarkable how similar these, these four boys and their dad really are. Do we look like that with Jesus? Surfers, you know, with blonde hair. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Do we bear his image in our lives, in our treatment of other people, in our behavior? Can we say essentially, as for me? Whether anybody else follows, as for me, I bear the image of Jesus. I am being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. By the way, let me make this very clear. Being conformed into his image is not what saves you. Believing in him is what saves you. This is the beautiful work that he does in your life as you begin to follow, as you become a servant of the Lord, you start to look more and more like him. We're gonna have a lot of brothers and sisters that don't look a lot like Jesus, but they, they had a faith, just enough. They just believed and, and he got them. Tell you what, when I get there, I wanna be looking like him. I want a life that looks like Jesus because that's where the joy is. That's where the thanksgiving really emerges. That's the essential idea. And the fact that Jesus is firstborn among many brethren, as the Hebrew pastor says, reminds me that Joshua doesn't stand alone in this. He says, not just the essential, but now secondly, the exhortation, as for me and my house. As for me and my house, my family, my own home, and that may be one or two or five or 10 in your household, but Choosing this day to serve the Lord is a family decision. It's a family decision. But understand that that's not democratic. You don't vote on it. Well, kids, let's all vote. Do you think we should stay home and watch cartoons or go to church? How do you think the kids are gonna vote? I know how I would have voted as a kid. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I wanna watch TV. It's not a democratic decision. It's an idiosyncratic decision. That is, you choose it. So we're right back to the essential. But it's as for me and my house, Joshua's making the choice for his family. Wait, can he do that? He is. My, my house is choosing this. We are choosing this. We have chosen this. And Joshua isn't saying that because the day before he gathered all his children and his wife and said, hey, let's take a vote. He's stating what is the standard of the household. As for me and my house, this is where we're at. And guess who would hear that? His wife, his children, his sons, his daughters. Wait, did he just say we will, we're in too? That's what he said. As for me and my house. Let me give you two great examples of this, and they are both in the same chapter, Acts chapter 16. Jump over to the New Testament, Acts chapter 16, and take a look with me. Acts 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Page 1123. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, example number one. Watch this, a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized. It began with the essential. Lydia comes to faith, and guess who follows? Her entire household. 
I would assume that means her kids and her husband. So believing wives whose husbands are not following along, you stand with the Lord. You keep following. You keep believing. You trust in him. And let your husband make his decision, but pray that he follows. First Peter, by the way, chapter three is the perfect location for a believing wife with an unbelieving husband to study. First Peter chapter three, look at what Peter says. Listen to what Peter says about how you are to behave and about the potential of saving your lost husband. But Lydia, she believes. And then she and her household have been baptized and she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters such profit or much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, these men are bond servants of the most high God and who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days and Paul was greatly annoyed. Now, see, he's got, he's got this woman here who's kind of like a, a billboard going before them and she's pronouncing, hey, she's saying, she's saying what's true. Yeah, we are servants of the most high God. Yeah, yeah, listen up. They all know that she's this, this phony, but well, she's this spiritist. She's got this spirit of divination. She's calling this out. Hey, Paul, use it, right? No, Paul's just annoyed. By the way, Paul's not gonna use the ways of the world to announce Jesus. It's got to be right. It's got to be real. Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, and it came out at that very moment. When her master saw the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe, being Romans. Well, you know the story. The whole crowd rises up against them. They bring them in. They throw them into jail. Paul and Silas, about midnight, verse 25, were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, having their own little Thanksgiving feast right there. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there came a great earthquake, such so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because he was dead. If the prisoners get out, sentences on him. So he's about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, we're all here. He called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and afterward he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. As for me and my house, and they spoke the word of the Lord together with him and with all who were in his household. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. As for me and my house, someone's gotta make a decision. And when you make that decision, make it with the determination that it is going to affect your house. And don't accept anything less. This is where we're headed. Me and my house. So whether it be a Lydia or a jailer, the decision of one impacted and influenced the culture of their entire household. I like the way Hudson Taylor put it. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China. 
He said, if your Christian experience hasn't affected your household, if your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, if even the cat or the dog in your house is not happier for you being a Christian, it's a doubt whether you really are. I'm not talking about guilt tripping someone for being the only Christian in the house. What we're talking about is the influence of your faith. If you're the only believer in your household, it's essential that you stand for Jesus and always. And if that joy in your life and your pursuit of Jesus, if that's real, it's going to affect your family members. You're gonna love them more, which is gonna make them feel more loved. You're gonna be more joyful, which is going to spill over. You're gonna live a life of greater thanksgiving, which is gonna then affect, again, the household. Live your faith. What happens so often is you have one person in a house who loves Jesus, but they don't wanna offend anybody, so they really keep it to themselves. Their acts of thanksgiving, their acts of prayer, their moments of faith and serving the Lord. Well, I'm just gonna do that on my own. Man, let it out. Let it affect the whole house. As for me and my house, make that your prayer. Lord Jesus, as for me and my house, may we all serve the Lord. Parents, the most foolish thing I think I've ever heard a father or a mother say is, I'm gonna let him or her decide. That is utter insanity. And in fact, it's led to the most horrifying fallout of this cultural mentality that we're seeing right now. And it's stunning to me, allowing and even encouraging a child to choose a lifelong identity that they can't possibly comprehend what choice they're making. I'm gonna let him choose. I'm gonna let her choose. I'm here to support their choice. And so it's supported with drugs and with surgery and it is astonishing and it is a shameful insanity going on in our country right now. Unbelievable. And I'm calling it out for what it is. It is utter foolishness. The king is naked. That's the deal. No, this is not, we're trying to dress this up as some kind of erudite, intelligent, no. The king is naked. This is ridiculous. This is wrong. Parents need to be parents and lead their children, not be led by the foolishness of a child that doesn't know any better. As for me and my house means you decide for your household. And I'm saying that no matter what person you are in your household. You decide. When it comes to Jesus Christ, you decide. Child is not the parent. Neither, by the way, is the educator. A good educator understands that, that the parent is the parent. By the way, (laughs) God forbid, the state is not the ruler of the child either. It is the parent. But there's a bigger societal issue here for this whole idea, as for me and my house, listen to me, as goes the family, so goes the nation. And this is historically verifiable Build the family up in truth and in love and a nation will be built strong. Break the family down and the nation will be broken. And we're watching it take place. The devil knows all this. He knows where to attack. The essential, as for me. The exhortation and my house. Number three, the expectation. We will serve. We will serve. Now, I I joked about this midweek, 
but it's easy for Joshua to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's going to be dead in, in a matter of hours. How hard is that? I can get up. I did this morning. I can get up and say, today, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Well, well done. How about tomorrow? How about next week? How about next year? Are you going to be serving then? How about 10 years from now, Lord willing? Are you going to be serving then? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Easy, Joshua. It's the last day of your life. Even your last day can impact generations. Think about this. Joshua is influencing us today. Because on the last day of breath in this world, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hobby Lobby has gotten all kinds of business off that one. All the signs and plaques and posters and all of our homes that have those and all the times. Think about since Joshua spoke that, not just since the church, but all the way throughout the history of Israel, how many rabbis preached that sermon? How many pastors in 2,000 years of church history have, have spoken the words of Joshua? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many Christians have spoken those words? Joshua on his deathbed on the last day speaks something so profound, it still impacts us to this day. So don't think you're done until you're done. Keep speaking the words of truth. Psalm 71, 18, I speak this to my older brothers and sisters. Even when I am old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Now, get this. I understand. I'm already in the place where some of what I say around the house seems irrelevant. And I know because usually it's, I say something and it's followed by, oh, dad. What do you mean, oh, dad? Yeah, yeah, you're not of this generation. You don't fully, I don't care. What generation? I'm going to be as curmudgeonly as I have to be when it comes with speaking, to speaking the truth. And you don't worry about whether or not it's received. You speak it anyway. Joshua spoke it. Someone in the crowd, no doubt, would have said, oh, the doddering old fool, he's 110. As for me and my house, whatever. Choose this day. Yeah, we can choose Yahweh and our gods. Some didn't believe. Some wouldn't listen. Completely irrelevant to Joshua. He spoke what was true and actual and real. But listen, there are two inherent expectations in this statement. As for me and my house, we will serve. First of all, Joshua expects that his family's faith will go on long after him. We will serve the Lord. And even as it's written in the English translated, it's future tense. We will serve the Lord. By the way, it's not the future tense in the Hebrew but it's translated that way. I'll explain why in a minute. As for me and my house, we will serve. He dies that day, but the next day and the following, his wife, his children, they will continue to serve. He's confident of it. Why? Because that is what has been laid in. Like railroad tracks across this nation, those are the rails that Joshua laid. That's where the train is gonna run. As for me and my house, we will serve. It's going to continue. Look at verse 31 in chapter 24. It tells us Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve. Apparently his house was much bigger than just his tribe because all Israel continued in this pattern that Joshua set for them, but he expects his family faith 
to continue. Paul does the same thing. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. We often stop right there as a warning to the church of things that will arise within the church. But Paul continues and says, therefore, be on the alert. Remembering the day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul is saying, this must go on long beyond me. I expect this to go on. Sounds a lot like Joshua's expectation for Israel. And then Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. See, that's a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord is someone who's living beyond themselves who's saying, as for me and my house, we will serve, we will continue, this must go on. Fathers, mothers, what do we expect of our families after we're gone? It's okay to make those expectations known. I expect you to continue to follow Jesus. I pray every day that you will continue to follow Jesus, that it won't end with my generation, but will go on and on Joshua expects his family's faith to go on in this life, but my friends, the other expectation is much bigger than this. It is an eternal expectation from beginning to without end. What do you mean? The English translates this as for me and my house, we will serve. So we look at that, we say, okay, future tense. He's talking about some time out, out in front of himself. We will serve which is what makes it funny because we will serve, again, for Joshua's only a few more minutes or maybe hours. But it's not future tense. It's the imperfect tense in the Hebrew. The imperfect tense is called imperfect because it's much more open. It's continuous action. It begins at some point in the past, but it's continuing right on into the future. It's as though Joshua says, as for me and my house, we have served and we will serve. So Joshua can look back on a lifetime of service saying, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I've been about. That's what I will continue to be about. And listen to me, after my last breath, that's what I'm gonna continue to do. You see, his second expectation is he expects his own faith to go on. After he's gone from this world. See, faith has a beginning for all of us. Faith begins when I put my trust in Jesus. But faith is the language of eternity, which is why we're in this world being sanctified and learning how to trust God. This is the language of heaven, to trust him and to believe in him. You're not gonna stop needing faith or actualizing or living by faith when you're in heaven. That's our language. That's how we will live, by trust in the Lord. So Joshua lived a life of faithful service and yet expects to continue to serve the Lord God on into eternity, beyond final breath, on into heaven. 
And it's a wonderful heavenly notion. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And yeah, I'm gonna be gone from here, but I'm still gonna be serving the Lord. It is palatable in the Revelation letters. Revelation chapter two, verse seven, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's future. Revelation 2, 11, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Verse 17, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Verse 26, to him I will give authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received from my father, Jesus says. I will give him the morning star. Chapter three, verse five. He will thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 12 of Revelation chapter three, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I'll give him my new name. Revelation 3.21, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, and as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What are you saying, Jesus? It goes on. And your service is only getting started when you die. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that change the whole view of death and departure from this world? Isn't that a good thing? I still, I marvel that we don't talk about this more as Christians. That we dread the coming day of our death, our departure. Hey, it's graduation day. You're heading into your true career. You're kingdom bound. Praise the Lord. You're gonna be with Jesus in heaven and the kingdom's gonna open up. And now, as for me and my house, we will serve. We will serve. It's all out front of us. And by the way, with that, what's the point of Revelation 20, 21, and 22? What's the whole point of God's promised kingdom to Israel? His promise of a new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, what, what, is it just the generic God wins? I am so sick of hearing that. Why is the book of Revelation in the Bible? Well, to tell us God wins. You know what that's like? It's like taking one bite of the donut. Those of you who are here Wednesday night, you already heard this. My, my grandson, Ethan, four years old, Hannah brought home a box, a baker's dozen donuts, put them on the counter, the next morning, they got up to enjoy the donuts and Ethan had taken a bite out of every single one. <laughs> every single one. But just one bite. For goodness sakes, don't take a bite out of Revelation. God wins and walk away. The book of Revelation is there for us to encourage us to what is before us and it's huge. As for me and my house, we will serve. We will continue to serve. This is coming. This is life. This is what we're living for. Everything else, you know what it is? Like it was for Joshua. It's fighting the good fight. It's allotting the land. It's preparing for that day. And that day's coming, my friends, either because you're gonna die and go home to be with the Lord or we all will be caught up with the dead in Christ and so we will forever be with the Lord. My service of the Lord does not end with this rite of passage. It continues on into the kingdom. I am only just 
getting started. And I think Joshua had a sense of that, which is why he very confidently could say, as for me and my house, we will serve. And that includes me. I am continuing on with the Lord. So the essential as for me, the exhortation as for my house, the expectation we will serve, and number four, the eternal God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Yahweh, the only one, and there is no other. As far as Joshua is concerned, one choice and only one, the gracious, true, merciful, righteous God. Isaiah 9, 6 says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, God, Eternal, Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to his, to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Choose this day for yourselves whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you seen the Norman Rockwell iconic Thanksgiving painting? You know the one I'm talking about? Some are shaking, some yes, some no. Let me, let me describe it to you. It's called Freedom from Want. He painted four very famous paintings based off of uh, FDR's Four Freedoms speech. So back in the day, Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke of four different freedoms, and so Norman Rockwell came along and painted four paintings based on each one of these, and Freedom from Want is the one that's become most iconic. It was first published in the Saturday Evening Post, March 6, 1943. Here's what it is. If you can imagine, it's, it's a table set with gleaming dishes on a pressed white tablecloth and, and surrounding the table from, from this perspective, looking out over at the table, you see the faces of a very happy family, young and old, all gathered around the table. And grandma is standing there and she's lowering this beautiful, perfect turkey down onto the table for the Thanksgiving meal that they're about to share together. Standing right behind her is the grandfather, family patriarch in suit and tie, ready to carve up the bird. Not grandma, the turkey. <laughs> but it's this amazing, beautiful portrait of truly a bygone era, of, of a Thanksgiving shared by a family. And I was looking at the picture again this week, because I do this kind of thing. I'm looking at the picture and I'm thinking, can we even imagine the first Thanksgiving feast in the house of the Lord. I can't wait. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb, Revelation 19, verse nine, about which Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom, Thanksgiving day. Jesus said in Luke 12, 37, blessed are those, note this, blessed are those, get this, Blessed are those slaves, bond servants, like Joshua, servants of the Lord, whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Food's gonna be amazing. But best of all, on that day, our hearts will overflow with a thanksgiving we have never known.
a true, deep, rich thanksgiving. So as that day approaches, let's live lives in thankful preparation. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the example in Joshua. Thank you for his service so long ago, for his faithfulness in doing as you called him to do. May we take that lead, not, Lord, simply from the man Joshua, but from the son of man, Yehoshua, Jesus Christ. May our eyes be fixed on him, our hearts be drawn to him. And Lord Jesus, even as we pray about you, we come before you with thanksgiving this morning, asking, Lord, that you will give us the power by your spirit to simply serve you, to essentially serve you as individuals, to exhort our families to the same service. Father, to expect that this will continue because you said so. And ultimately, Lord, to stand here before you, the eternal God, with love and thanksgiving in our hearts. Oh, Father, draw us near to you and bring us to that glad table on a day not yet far from now. In Jesus' name.